I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden, and we are here at the Kara Golden Show. I am so, so excited to have my next guest with us. We have Carolyn Dewar, who is the author of CEO Excellence. And she's also a senior partner at McKinsey and Company. I was so excited to meet her actually at a dinner in San Francisco a few weeks ago and was just inspired by everything that she's been working on at McKinsey. And also this book, I read a lot of books, but this book in particular was just exceptionally good. So I was very, very excited to have her come on and share a little bit more about it. As I mentioned, she is at McKinsey and Company. She founded and co-leads McKinsey's CEO excellence work, coaching many Fortune 100 CEOs to maximize their effectiveness. And she works extensively with clients to drive organizational effectiveness at pivotal moments, such as mergers, strategic shifts, and crises. She also leads large-scale performance improvement programs, and she has authored, co-authored, actually, this amazing book called CEO Excellence, and it is quite excellent. And she co-wrote it with Vic Malhotra and Scott Keller, And it really pulls back the curtain on how some of the world's greatest business leaders have achieved success with super valuable lessons through shared stories. I loved the six key points, by the way. So, so good. We'll get into that for sure. And more than anything, just how she's highlighted some incredible leaders, some of them I've met, I knew, but I loved all the little tidbits in her book. So it really got me thinking quite a bit. So excited to jump in here. So let's get started. Welcome, Carolyn. Thanks so much for having me, Kara. I've been so inspired by your journey, and it's so fun to be talking today. Oh, so fun. So, well, before we get started speaking about the book, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. So, first of all, you've been at McKinsey for 22 years. I mean, amazing. There aren't very many people that can actually say that they've been in a role for that long these days. So I was really, really impressed with that. What's the most surprising thing about your journey so far? I can't imagine that you ever thought that you would be at a company for this long, but you must really enjoy it and enjoy the work that you're doing. Absolutely. And it's funny when you say it that way, because it doesn't feel like one job, right? That one of the fun things in what I get to do is you do get to explore and reinvent. And a lot of that comes from all the different leaders you get to meet. And so I've worked across financial services and tech, been in Canada, the UK, now I'm here in the Bay Area. And so every day feels new and just so inspired working with leaders who are building and leading these incredible companies. That's very cool. So talking about inspiration, so uh, you wrote this book, CEO Excellence, what inspired you to write it? 
the inspiration really did come from clients and executives that I had a chance to work with where they're in the CEO role, always you know, referred to as a lonely role, a unique role, but such an important role, right? We need people to get it right. They have extraordinary influence on their employees and their customers and everything they do. And more and more, I was hearing from them, you know, I know I'm in this role and I'm figuring it out as I go, but what do others do? How do others do this? I'm sure others have faced this before. And because it can be a lonely role, there's not always a chance to learn from everyone else. You're all kind of sitting in your in your offices all around. And so we really wanted to gather and share those stories. So the book itself is, you know, 10% consulting, 90% stories of these extraordinary CEOs and how they've navigated the role and how they do it well. So you set out in the book to answer one question. What does it mean to be a CEO? And I would love for you to share how you picked the CEOs and how different were the answers based on this prompt. Absolutely. And in particular, we wanted to know how do excellent CEOs do it, the ones who really outperform. And so we started there. We took the several thousand, about 3,000 CEOs who've led kind of mostly public companies in the last 20 years. And we looked for the ones who'd been in the top 20% of performance versus their industry peers. So they'd outperform their competitors. They'd been in role for at least six years because we wanted you to have been a CEO long enough that you had to eat your own cooking, right? Decisions you made early, you're having to live with it, the implications of that. And then we filtered for reputation and some other important factors. And so with these high-performing CEOs, we wanted to know not only what do they do, what do they do that's different from maybe those who've struggled? And is there is there a common set of kind of secret sauce answers for how to do the job well? So... I mentioned this in the intro. I love the six key points that you identify in the book. Can you share those with us and maybe hear your thoughts on whether CEOs that you interviewed perform well if they only excel in a few of these? Or did you pick the ones that did all six, correct? Absolutely. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally 
first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So as a CEO, there are these six elements of the role, right? And, and before we get into the mindsets, it's setting the direction, you know, aligning the organization, working through your team, your board, your external stakeholders, and yourself. Those are almost the six spinning plates. Some people refer to it as six spinning plates that you need to keep in the air as a CEO. None of them can drop and hit the floor, right? All those things need to be true. Of course, you might balance your emphasis differently over time. The question we were really looking into is against those six parts of the job, 
how do you do it well? And that's where we came to the, the subheading, which is about the six mindsets that really set apart those who are excellent. So for each of those six pieces, there was a certain mindset or way of thinking that really sets you apart. If we take one, for example, on setting direction, right, which is all things strategy and resource allocation, the mindset that was consistent across these high performers was be bold, right? There was a boldness in their thinking that really set them apart, maybe even from other CEOs. Now, to be fair, we probably should have said be bold and be right, <laughs> because if you're bold and wrong, you probably wouldn't have been in the, in the high performer set. But if you weren't bold, if you were incremental, you also wouldn't have been a high performer. You had to be willing to take some risks. Interesting. How about personality and sort of like, um, you know, just more than anything, charisma? And how did that, I'm so curious how that ranked or what did you see in these people? I think the part that we're excited about is the mindsets we, we identified in talking to folks are mindsets that anyone could choose to have, right? And because I think there is some mythology around you have to be this big charismatic leader or an extrovert or all those things, we saw the full range. Some of these incredible CEOs were quite quiet, quite introverted, very thoughtful. They needed think time on their own. Others do their best thinking working in groups and kind of iterating. So everyone had their own style, but the, the mindset where they thought, what is my job really of being bold, really kind of the other one around treating the soft stuff as the hard stuff, which essentially means treating the culture and the talent issues as important as the operational issues. These mindsets can be held by anyone, regardless of your kind of personality or your type. And that, that's what got me excited. It didn't feel like it was some exclusive club that only a certain personality could, could occupy. And did you feel like if they were uh, maybe not comfortable in one of these or, or you didn't necessarily see them scoring high in one of these six points, did they have a team member or a partner who was, you know, highlighted in some way? I mean, I know that they were not one of the CEOs, but just as an, that you highlighted, but just as an example, you know, Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook, I mean, definitely played a key role prior to leaving at Facebook. So it, and was often speaking on behalf of of Facebook as well. So I'm just curious, were did you see examples of that where there were kind of one other person within the company that was maybe just as in critical in the outward facing messaging as, as the CEO? Absolutely. I think in some of these cases, it was like an ensemble cast, yeah. right? Maybe there was one other person, maybe there was a team. I think these roles are too big for any single human to do it all. Mm -hmm. And there was a recognition in the CEOs we talked to. You know, you might have thought maybe if we'd done this 20 or 30 years ago, there might have been the all singing, you know, the all knowing CEO who was going to have all the answers and cascade it down. Those times are long gone, right? The world moves too fast. The role is too broad for any single human to do it all. But they did make sure that that work was getting done and they managed the psychology of that group to get it done, right? So collectively, we need to be setting a bold direction, managing the health of our organization, engaging thoughtfully with stakeholders. All those things need to happen. And, and the CEO sort of at the center, making sure all of that happens, right? Even if it's not them, but you're right. You know, the, the managing through and with other leaders is absolutely critical given the scale of the role. So let's talk about the word transparency as it relates to the CEO role. Curious what any of these leaders had to say about transparency? 
Yeah, it came up time and time again. I mean, to give a couple of examples on the board piece, the big mindset for engaging with the board was, how do I help the directors help the business? It's a very different mindset than, oh, I got to get through a board meeting so I get to go back to running my day job, right? Yeah. And so one place it showed up was in transparency with the board. These confident, high-performing CEOs told the good, the bad, and the ugly, brought their board along, which really built a lot of trust, right? Jamie Diamond at the first hour of his board meeting, not at the end, sits with his board with no paper, says, here's what's keeping me up at night. Here's what's going well. Here's what's not. There's a transparency with the board as one example of stakeholders, but increasingly with external stakeholders, with employees, this idea of of having a narrative as a CEO of what we're doing, what's working well, how we're going to get there, and and telling that same story everywhere you go that's true and authentic um, is the way that you're aligning, aligning people towards your vision. Yeah, I thought that was super, super interesting. So what about founder CEOs? I am a founder uh, CEO myself. So how are they different um, from maybe the, the CEOs of large-scale companies and CEOs that were brought in uh, for, into these companies? Absolutely. Maybe I'll Think, I think there's a whole conversation yeah. there, which is fascinating. If I think about maybe three differences, first of all, we had some founder CEOs in this set of 70, Reed Hastings in there. There's a couple. We purposely didn't over-index because in a way, founder CEOs have more degrees of freedom than other typical CEOs have. And so we wanted to make sure the lessons applied broadly. I do think as a founder CEO, you know, you, you tend to, with the board and with other stakeholders, you know, have a lot of influence and you've really shaped the company. And with that comes a lot of power. I think what we hear from founder CEOs and where they sometimes struggle or are looking for help is as they scale the organization beyond themselves, beyond being able to hire everyone on their own, tell the story themselves. How do you find that right balance between you being kind of the secret sauce and somehow institutionalizing that in the company you're building so that the culture exists even when you're not in the room, so that the talent is there, so that the vision can grow and evolve beyond your initial vision? And I think it's that scaling piece um, that is sort of the counterpoint that founders are trying to do. You know, they, they have all the nimbleness. They're trying to institutionalize The big companies are the opposite, right? They're overly institutionalized and they're trying to recapture some of the magic. And so both are kind of trying to find that sweet spot in the middle. So interesting. So you touched on what Jamie Diamond does. uh, And as you know, Christine touched on this at the dinner that we were all at that night. She used to be at JP Morgan, but I'm such a huge fan of Jamie. Were there other kind of key things that you thought that people did inside of their company? Any other stories that you thought were really kind of uh, interesting? Yeah, I mean, so many stories. I think, you know, Satya Nadella at Microsoft has done an incredible job of just both boldness and strategy, as well as real commitment to culture change, right? You think of the culture he inherited, which really was getting in the way, right? There was a sort of know-it-all culture that was heavily siloed and squashed innovation. And he popularized and pushed this whole idea of growth mindset. But didn't just say the words, and it wasn't just HR posters or a pretty culture campaign. They deeply institutionalized growth mindset into how they run the place, right? The expectation of leaders, how they, you know, how they set up teams, how they learn from mistakes. He took something soft and squishy like culture and made it very hard and very concrete. 
is a great story. One more maybe of a, a lesser known um, name, but to think about Doug Baker, who was the CEO at Ecolab. So kind of an industrial cleaning company could have easily gone on the wrong side of the ESG agenda. And he stepped back with his, his team and said, well, if our purpose and our mission is to make the world a cleaner place, how can we do that without integrating ESG and environmental policy deeply into not just you know, writing checks and, and public, but into how we operate, right? And they radically transformed their operations so that as they grew, their positive environmental impact actually grew as opposed to, I think it was his quote, you can't do evil from nine to five and make up for it by writing big checks in the evening. He found a way to link those two together and, and scale an incredibly high-performing company. So interesting. So McKinsey launched the study around females in the workforce, and I should say leaving the wor- workforce, uh, a very, very surprising study to many. I'm so curious with all of the work that you've done at McKinsey, uh, what was the most surprising about that study for people who have not seen it? So we've been doing a a joint initiative with Lean In for eight years, every year bringing out really data-driven analysis of women in the workforce. And each year there's different insights and themes. This year, the the striking theme was the extent to which women, as you say, are either leaving the workforce or even more so leaving and switching to a different job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's not even just that they're leaving. And what came through loud and clear, and this was from very senior executive women on down, was that women are demanding more of their workplace, right? And so they are leaving organizations that are not honoring the skill set that they're bringing, recognizing their amazing talents, you know, helping them work in ways that are productive and help them be their best selves at work. You know, it's a continuation of the discussion we've been hearing around kind of microaggressions, not being in the room where the decisions get made, being passed over for opportunities. And what is both, you know, in some way devastating to hear, but in some way exciting is women are starting to find better options, right? And it's hard to fault that. They say, look, you're not going to give me a promotion or recognize my talent. I'm going to go over here to someone who is. And so there's a ton of movement happening. Um, and I think it's a real wake up call for a lot of organizations that, you know, this, the women leaders that they have have expectations for their workplace and, and they're not settling for maybe what they might have settled with in the past. Yeah, it's, I thought it was exactly what you're talking about now. I think that it is about time, right? I think that we just needed um, maybe the last two years to make a lot of people realize that there's a lot that can be done um, outside of the office, but also I think people have reset themselves after this time for sure. So one of the things that you touched on in this book is the concept of CEOs and you know the lonely office that many people strive for. And then once they get there, find how challenging it can actually be. And I, the thing that I thought was so interesting about that conversation, I think a lot of people maybe who have never gotten to the CEO role, they just don't really realize it, right? They think that The person who's sitting in that spot is able to control a lot of things, but the thinking that goes on behind and and also that they have a whole life, too, that they're trying to balance and, you know, maybe homeschooling kids along the, you know, whatever that is. But I'm so curious to hear any of the stories that you heard from that 
Absolutely. I mean, just lots of flavors of that, right? There's everything from Mary Barra at GM, and she was promoted from within to CEO to suddenly getting there and turning to her now team who had been her peers for years and saying, hey, guys, I'm still Mary, right? So part of it is people start treating you differently. Um, Some of it good, some of it isolating, right, if you're not careful. And I think the CEO's who are navigating this well, one of the things they're doing is making sure they still do have a few folks, hopefully more than a few, who keep it real with them, right? Who are willing to give them the tough messages, the tough feedback when something doesn't land. Because you also don't want to be in an ivory tower thinking that everything's awesome when it's not, right? And so who are going to be those people for you? Some of them are inside work. Sometimes they're outside work, but you need those folks to keep you grounded and also be a sounding board for you. So you have a safe place to talk through difficult things that you might not want to you know, broadcast to your whole team. That's such an important investment. I'm so curious how uh, the conversations went around, really the relationship with the board. How much did these CEOs talk about that? You talked about transparency with the board a little bit, but I'm so curious what else was mentioned there that maybe even wasn't mentioned in the book. I do think of the six areas, the board piece is the one where maybe it was most surprising, or there was the biggest difference between these real high performers and maybe the average advice about boards. I mean, if the, again, being purposely sort of edgy, but the average advice a little bit is you're bored, you have to tolerate it, and then you get to go back. These CEOs really thought differently. They're like, if I want these people to be helpful to me, how would I engage? First, I'd make sure there were people on the board who brought skills and experience that was genuinely helpful, right? And if, they, if we don't have those folks and I'm not the board chair, I work with the chair to evolve that over time. I have to give them enough context and information that they can be helpful, And then this idea of like the board wants to find ways to help. And so you can either channel that or they're going to make up their own ways, right? And it might not be what you want. And so a lot of CEOs being quite comfortable having board members, even coaching members of their team, if they have relevant experience, tapping individual board members that, you know, have certain expertise and say, okay, that's the woman I'm going to call when I have a big M&A deal, because she's a good thought partner for me for that. That's the person I'm going to call for this other area. So it was, in a way, it was almost by omission. It wasn't about the board meeting. It seemed 99% about all the other conversations they were having with board members that were really productive, whether it was with their chair or one-offs. You know, one CEO, I think it was Ajay, um, Ajay Banga at MasterCard even said, they're the best, almost free consultants you could have, right? If you have the right board members, you would use them really differently. Yeah, I think that's so true. I'm curious how many mentioned also their role as being sort of external as well as internal. I always feel that was the one thing that I really picked up in in all of the uh, CEOs that you mentioned is that they can actually, or I, I think they probably spend a portion of their time outside of the company as well as inside because it's just as important, not only to spend with your shareholders, but also your consumers and really getting buy-in into kind of what your vision is more than anything. But Absolutely. I think 68% of the CEOs we talked to said the job wasn't at all what they thought it would be. And most of the surprise was the amount of board engagement and external engagement that the job required, right? You might've run a big business unit or a P&L or a function and you think, oh, I got this. I can be a CEO. And then there's this whole other side to the job, which is the external stakeholder management. And I think it's only increasing, right? You think about you know, the, the typical external management of you know, regulators, customers, things to do with your business. 
But then think about the last few years and CEOs have been asked to make calls and make take a stand on everything from Russia, Ukraine, to the murder of George Floyd, to election results, to employee safety and COVID. I mean, you don't get taught that in MBA school, right? And so I think CEOs are really struggling to say, how do I think about which stakeholders to engage with or not? and on what topics. And those who've done it well or are, are doing it well uh, have a really clear sense of the mindset on this one is start with the why, right? They know why their organization exists, what the purpose is of their organization, what, what who they're trying to be in the world. And they use that as a criteria or a filter for which topics and issues and stakeholders are most relevant given who your company is and who you are as a CEO. I think this one, everyone is still navigating and it's changing every day. So what are the major things anyone can take away from your book, CEO Excellence, even if they aren't in a CEO role? Maybe you never want to be a CEO either, uh, but I'd love to hear from you. What are the major things that you think people can take away from it? I think we started out thinking we were writing a book for CEOs And while that's proven to be super helpful and they're all coming to us with notes in the margin and stickies all over it, 99% of it applies to any leader. And, And I think that's what's exciting. Any of us, whatever role we're in, can learn from, you know, being bold in our direction setting, treating the organizational issues incredibly importantly, working well through the psychology of our team to get that team working well together engaging with all the stakeholders, regardless of who they are, and really understanding how we get on the same page. And then the last part we've talked less about is your own personal operating model, right? Tons of tips and hints there on time management, who you're going to be as a leader. All of that applies to anyone. I know I've started trying to implement a lot of what we've learned. So, so terrific. So definitely everybody pick up CEO Excellence. It'll be in the show notes as well. Thank you, Carolyn, so much for sharing your time with us today. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.